it's the hot summertime in central Alabama, and Veg Hill is really in the doldrums. But the okra just keeps on bursting forth. I think it's the, the veg for a post-climate change world. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze. Beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles. Approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of August 5th, 2010. You're so right about okra. It's too bad not everybody likes it, because, and I know they don't, and some people only like it fried, which not that great for you but anyway luckily I like it steamed boiled all of the above um, and you're right it's it's uh, designed for hot weather it does well we're trying to keep it well picked uh, which is supposed to be a way to keep it producing for a while so um, but you're, you're also right about the rest of the vegetables out on Veg Hill the cantaloupe's doing well. Yeah, all the melons are doing yeah. well. The watermelon. watermelon's not mm -hmm. ripening as much as we would like for it to, but it's still thriving. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's just... And we've got a problem. The melons, as you know, tend to be thugs. They take over territory, and we, our neat concept of rows and aisles is breaking down. Oh, it's completely <laughs> Where those melons are, because they just spread out everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I watch you when you're working down there, you're sort of tiptoeing around through the aisles and, you know, I'm you know, trying to pick them up and put them back in the rows so that we can walk back down and um, enjoy getting around down there. But they really do sort of take over the whole they territory. Do. But they're welcome right now because of the fact that we're having so much trouble with the tomatoes, which basically have shut down. They're not producing anything. Uh, I, I do have one bright spot on the tomato front, and that's the Cherokee purples. You now have a tomato. There's a tomato growing on <laughs> one of them. Yay. So we'll, we'll keep you posted about that. If you recall, the Cherokee purples are the only tomatoes that I started from seed. And, the, you know, the others were all just store-bought bonnie plants or something. And uh, they are, you know, they, of course, we were late getting them in. And then some of the little seedlings didn't do well, and I planted them in what turned out to be bad, soggy soil. But despite that, a number of those plants are taking hold and, and now fruiting. So Well, one, one is, is fruiting. fruiting. One Let's is fruiting. not get carried away. <laughs> right. We basically do continue to have absolutely no activity on the tomato front. Yeah, it's too The black-eyed peas are still hanging in there. They're yeah, we've got some peas. good, yeah, got some good, good black-eyed peas. And the squash is kind of a mixed bag. It's not producing well. I did, we, we harvested a couple of squash the other day, um, and I see some new ones forming, but I have really struggled with those squash bugs. And I, for the first I time... I think you must be having nightmares about squash I bugs. I actually do, <laughs> yeah. I do see the little critters everywhere. But um, and, and there are many stages of growth. You've got eggs, and you've got yeah. nymphs, and you've got adults, and there are probably two or three other stages that yeah, you're aware various of. various sizes of nymphs. But um, this week, I applied neem oil. Well, you don't use it full strength. You, you mix a solution of neem oil, water, and an emulsifier, and this time I used Castile soap liquid soap. And we're hoping that does some Right. It seemed to, well, the, the, the thing that made me feel the best was after spraying liberally on those plants, I came back later and saw a dead, as in 
legs up in the air, squash bug lying on one of the leaves where I had sprayed. I thought, that's what I want to see, a dead squash bug. <laughs> and so. we're, we'll keep hoping for that. But let's get to the okra. The okra Let's talk great. about the okra because that is, yeah. is really a fun development on our garden front. Well, if you recall, I planted five different varieties, and all five are doing well. There are um, three greens, which are evergreen, Cajun jewel, and Clemson spineless, and two reds, hickory, heirloom red, and Alabama red. And it, the the in some case the red okra is getting much bigger. I mean, they're they're they kind of got a late start. I was very um, discouraged discouraged at first about the red okras because they didn't seem to be bursting out as as early. Well, I planted the Clemson spineless later, so that's take that out of the picture. But the evergreen, I mean, the ever tender, and the Cajun jewels were the first ones to fruit, and flower and fruit. And I thought, oh, these are better producers for us. But now, coming on late, sort of like the, the horse that gets, you know, who comes up from behind on the track. Which is not a criticism okra. of the Clemson spineless no. or the um, ever tender. Ever tender. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're still continuing to do well. Mm-hmm. And as you and I have noticed, okra is one of those things you sort of need to be there every day to yeah. enjoy because it's- you'll have a little bitty bud. And I'm sure we're going to go out there this morning and things that were teeny tiny yesterday are going to be ready to harvest today. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we actually w- were out of town for a couple of days, and some of that red okra, which can get very large, and it's it's kind of a fat okra too, um, <clears throat> those we actually waited a little too long to harvest because we ate some of it last night, and it was that part a little I tough. was a little tough. Yeah. yeah. So, But it's because they grew. Uh, you know, we, we harvested well before we left, came back three days later. Those... At red okra were huge, the, the fruit. So, you know, it is, you're right. You, you want to keep it well-picked and, and checked on and uh, harvested. So, uh, but it's kind of fun. Let's talk about how we cook it. Because you wrote put a little post on Facebook about your okra, and you got about 18 different yeah. suggestions <laughs> about how to cook okra, most of them involving loads of fat and salt. Yeah, and um, frying in a lot of cases. <laughs> uh, but our approach to cooking okra is we like the taste of the okra. Um, I guess I, more than you, would be happy to have okra by itself with no seasoning at all. I like a little seasoning. You like a little have, Greek seasoning on right, it or something like that. Right, it doesn't have to be salty. I put something like cavenders or But our seasoning. preferred method for cooking okra is to put it in a little metal pot and put it in the sun oven, mm-hmm. and it seems to work real right. well. And, and it's it's very similar. The, the, the effect is similar to steaming the okra, yeah. which is our son Joe, who's a really good cook, I'm proud of proud to say. He, um, he and his wife, Michelle, both are excellent cooks, and... He is the one who told us about steaming okra. That, and I had never really tried it steamed before. I grew up with a grandmother who boiled the stuff. And, of course, I learned to like it, whether it's no matter how gooey it was. And I do prefer the way we cook it to boiled okra. Yeah, I, I do, too. I think a boiled okra is kind of slimy and Slimy. That's the, the operative word, yeah. But, and but. Our, and our okra in the sun oven is not slimy. As it, it is not when you steam it in a, tradi- yeah. you know, the, the traditional way being a double boiler and you've got mm. the wa- hot water under there. Um, and, and Joe fixed it for us that way one time and it made a real believer out of me. Um, so. We tried it. I t- just stuck some in the sun oven one day and noticed it really had very much the same consistency. And for that. those who do not have a sun oven, I would think you could just put it in a metal pot and put it in the oven at a low temperature and approximate the same result, wouldn't you? 
probably, but I'm not going to go out on a limb about that. I'm yeah, not, we've, we don't own an oven, specialty. so we've not <laughs> tried to do that. But oh, I we would have an think oven, that, but yeah. I, I would think that if you needed to approximate what we're doing in the sun oven without using a sun oven, a low temperature, and I'm thinking like, you know, 300 degrees or so for a while should do it. Well, when you think about the sun oven, at the highest probably gets to 300, 350. Correct. And a couple of days you would put the okra out there. Now, we're not talking about a huge quantity of okra. This is not a big pot full that's, uh, you know, kind of covers the bottom of a Yeah, of maybe a dark... enough for two people yeah. and a little bit left over. Yeah, and so that amount in the sun oven from 4 to 5.30 on a hot sunny day. Plenty cooked. It is, it is daylight savings time. So, you know, the sun thinks it's 3 to 4.30. The point is... It was cooked enough. You do not want to overcook it. So True. So, but that's probably enough about okra because some people who are listening to us <laughs> still may stuff. not like okra. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about melons. Yeah. Most people do like melons. Um, if you like cantaloupes, you would be at the right place if you visited us. <laughs> this is the season. We talked about this yesterday uh, during which if we walk into the apartment after it's been closed up for a while, there's this rich, overpowering scent of ripe melon because we've always got melon sitting on the counter. And um, it's not unpleasant. It's a, it's a nice time right. of year. And I'm looking forward to next year. I think we might have mentioned a couple of weeks ago that our friends... Um, who have a farm down near Tuskegee have learned to grow um, honeydew melon. And we're looking forward to and that. And so next year, I hope I'm giving you some updates about our honeydews because that's actually my very favorite melon. But um, I had not thought that we could grow those in central Alabama, but they have successfully grown a number of varieties. So we hope that we'll have something along those lines next time. But back to cantaloupe, and uh, we had about three different varieties of cantaloupe. One of which is um, they're rem they're coming back from seed from last year. The compost volunteers. Yes, and I don't know what type of melon that was or what variety because we got it through Grow Alabama, but I remember which was the CSI that we were parts of. Um, and and I thought about this. You know, you've told me the best way CSA. to save seed for cantaloupe is just to throw it in the compost and see what comes up and transplant it. Next year, assuming that happens, we'll know even less about it because it'll be mixed in with right. two or three other varieties of cantaloupe. Yeah. And I guess I could go back to the CSA website, uh, Grow Alabama, and see if I can dig up what they were selling last year, but I don't know if that's possible. Um, I just know that the um, those seeds, I put them out, they grew cantaloupes. The deer ate them, <laughs> unfortunately, uh -huh. but, and we composted almost all of that uh that cantaloupe from last year because of the fact we never got to eat it. Right. So those seeds were in it, as you said, and came back as volunteers. But I, I remarked then, and I'm remarking again, that cantaloupe is among the sweetest I've ever had. It is it's delicious. really good. Just delicious cantaloupe. So we've enjoyed yeah. that. So we have that. A second type is that's not as flavorful, but I guess I didn't expect it to. They are um, cantaloupe that I purchased from um, the Auburn plant sale. Just as a as a plant, your plants that I put in the ground, those melons are tending to be smaller, and just not as sweet. But mm -hmm. a lot of times when you buy, and nothing against Auburn, actually one of the plants we have out there is a Bonnie is from Bonnie plants, um, and they're sort of mingled in together. So I'm not sure which is which, but none of those in that bed, none of those cantaloupe are quite as sweet. Then a third one is uh, Chanterelle melon, 
and that I no Charente melon yeah, Charente, and um, those are supposed to be really sweet and so far everything i've harvested out of that bed, that bed it lives up to its its reputation they're very sweet melons and now we're waiting for watermelons we are harvesting just the beginning of the smaller watermelons and finding them to be sweet and flavorful but these are water the ones that we found that really do taste good are what about the size of a softball yeah. They're not big melons mm -hmm. at all. No, they're not. Sort of a personal watermelon. Yeah, they're they're not getting big. We have uh, some that are crimson sweet and some that are sugar baby. And, uh, you know, both of them are pretty good. So we'll have to see how What they... was the one we got impatient and harvested and oh, cut last night? We have we had one that was an aberrant watermelon. I've just got to say that's why it got... Because... The sugar baby watermelons are not supposed to exceed six to ten pounds. Okay. We had a sugar baby out there that it, that one wasn't more than ten you don't pounds. I think so. Oh. Well, it was huge. No. It was so much larger than the others, and they're supposed to be round, and it was slightly oblong. Makes me think that watermelon crossed with something. I don't know, but anyway. I'm not, I'm not sure that that was, honey. Is that the if they're supposed to be six to ten? That wasn't ten pounds. Really? What we cut last wow. night. Wow. Well, anyway, it was big. It's it's far larger than any watermelon. Uh, you're out right there. about that. Or any. And we've been watching it form for weeks, thinking, yeah. okay, surely any day now it's going to be ready. And we were going uh, over to have supper with our brother and sister-in-law, and we really wanted to bring something, you know. So, um, well, we had several things. We actually brought a big pot of okra from our garden. But anyway, I just said, okay, that looks ready to me. Well, clearly it wasn't. We cut into it. It was yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it was bit, just not sweet. It was not sweet enough. But I brought a small crimson sweet from the garden, and it really, even though it was tiny, it was very good. It was. It was a delicious little so, watermelon. And, and, so anyway, we'll, so we'll enjoy more of those. Yeah, more of those, and we hope that we are having some that are splitting with the heat, and um, that's a problem. But we'll just have to keep an eye on them. Another of the many things we're figuring out we should have gotten in the ground sooner so that yes. it would be harvested by now. And and I will say this. I planted those watermelons according to the Alabama uh, Extension Service guidelines of when you plant watermelon. I did not delay. I planted them in May the way you're supposed to. So this tells me, I mean, I'm thinking we've got climate change issues or something because it is so much hotter now than it should be mm -hmm. um, for those watermelons. And so I think that's what's happening. Maybe... And this is something you and I have talked about, and it kind of goes to some some larger issues. Perhaps we are entering an era where we need to plant with climate change in mind, and we plant everything earlier. Yeah, we probably ought to dedicate a podcast to that, talk about the sort of the dual season idea that you and I have tossed around. Yeah. So maybe uh, expect that for next week for mm -hmm. us to talk about that. That's that's worthy of some exploration. Yeah, I think just because uh, it's it's a continuing issue and it might apply to lots of farmers. Correct. It will certainly lots of farmers who are in warmer climes mm -hmm. as we are. Right. Uh, sun hemp continues to bust it down there. That's We're big. feeling good about it. Uh, when we planted the sun hemp, we read all that we could find about it, including a good many. Um, Article saying expect it to reach heights of up to six feet. Well, our sun hemp is past seven and growing. Um, it's just really happy down there, and of course we have high hopes for what that's doing for the fertility mm -hmm. of our soil. That's right. Because sun hemp is a legume. It's we hope that the 
little critters who are thriving near its roots are fixing nitrogen and that when we cut that sun hemp and let it lie on the surface that we will be helping the fertility of the soil on the east side of Veg Hill. Well, you know, we've talked about how hot it's been. I wonder if perhaps the sun hemp likes the really hot weather. Perhaps. That's one reason it's doing so well. Maybe, yeah, because it certainly is a tropical uh, yes. crop. Yes, yes. So. However, we don't like the heat so much. We're we don't, but we're so having well. <laughs> to cope with it anyway. Um, let's sort of think through what we're doing th- these days. And um, as a parenthetical, we noted with joy this morning for the first time that they have not extended the excessive heat warning by one more day. So yeah, talk about news. that pattern. I'm not sure you've mentioned what your the phenomenon you've been noticing. Well, what I've noticed is that our local forecast says excessive heat warning continuing until tomorrow at 7 p.m. and then um, heat advisory continuing for another 24 hours. And what's been disconcerting is that for five days running, I'm, I'm not exaggerating here, for five days that pattern has been extended by one more day each morning. So that each morning when we got up, they would say, you know, the heat advisory, and, and it was always one more day, sort of like we're going to balance our budget six years from now. <laughs> it was always one more day we're going to have this, and then it's going to be a, be abating. Uh, but now they are saying that it should be abating by tomorrow night. Yes, that was. we were glad to hear that because that's very, very discouraging to get up in the mornings and see that. Um, well, and, and while we're still here, let's talk a little bit about our how we're coping with it. We do um, have our fan inside, our ceiling fan. Yeah, ceiling fan runs basically whenever we're here now. Yeah. <laughs> whenever we're in the apartment, the ceiling fan's turned on. And, and we had some problems with the air conditioning uh, uh, system, as far the air conditioning unit. As yeah, far we as its drainage, we're not using it much at all up until the last two or three days. And and, and so you had that. Our friend came and fixed Scott it. Rupert Scott Rupert came yeah. and helped us with that. So, what we've done the last what three, four, five mm-hmm. days, we haven't used the air conditioner at all during the night or the morning or the late afternoon. What we've done is turn it on, um, close up the apartment, and turn on the air conditioner and the dehumidifier in the middle of the day, like at eleven or so. And it makes the apartment very comfortable in the heat of the day for us to have lunch and for me to get my nap. And then we'll open everything back up again in the late afternoon. And that's working fairly yeah. well, yeah, even in the, the this brutal heat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it works pretty well. And I don't feel badly about using the air conditioning for, you know, 30 or 40 minutes. I think no. that's No, it's, it's an efficient well Energy Star machine. It's really not... Not and bad at all. I will always add, when you get to a conversation like this, there is no substitute for living in a tiny living space because we can turn on the w- little window air conditioning for 30 minutes and make a dramatic difference in the way it feels in our home. And it's actually not in a window. We had it built into the wall, so it's not blocking out a window. It's, right. it's, it's actually aesthetically fairly pleasing. As fairly pleasing. Um, well, you want to talk very quickly about what you did with the drip irrigation yesterday? I was yeah, so happy um, with that. We've got drip irrigation on Veg Hill East, Veg Hill West, and the Blueberry Line. And I came up with this harebrained scheme the other day. Of we could extend it and provide water for the west bed as well as for this microclimate bed that's directly south of the barn. So that's what we've been working on doing. 
We now have drip on the west bed. I got that installed yesterday, and it ran three hours yesterday and will be running another hour and a half today as part of the regular schedule. And you can tell the difference. You can go out and look at the plants and say, ooh, they're happier. They're so much happier. So I'm so glad you got that done, and we look forward to updating you about the um, the other bed. Right now, the other bed has uh, a nice soaker hose on it, but right. it'll be nice to get the drip line but a, on it. One thing is clear is that these um, the drip irrigation lines are getting water to the plants better than soaker hose yeah, does. Yeah, I highly recommend it if you, so. if you have access to that. Well, I guess we better go. It's been a great uh, chance to visit with everybody, and I hope you have a good week, and I hope you stay cool. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Or you can send us honest-to-goodness mail at P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log, check in with Lee and Amanda, and talk with other listeners. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.